Hi, my name is John Kim, and I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth. I share my feelings and revelations. I believe in casual or clinical, and with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. I have a treat for you today. An editor from HarperCollins slash HarperOne. She's actually my editor who edited I Used to Be a Miserable Fuck. And, you know, she's not just someone who fell into the business. She was one of those children who demanded her parents to read her three books a night. And since then, she's been reading books, editing books, championing amazing stories. Uh, so, you know, one thing that you may not know, many people don't know, is that an editor... They don't just edit your books. They um, find material. They uh, champion the book. They uh, are involved in the entire process. They're, they're more of like, a, a say, a producer of a movie instead of the editor of a movie. So get ready to um, get schooled on books in the book business, but also uh, hear an amazing story uh, she is so smart and well-read and just um, knows her shit, but also uh, just amazing, down-to-earth, warm person. Uh, here is Hillary Swanson. So um, I want to – I have so many questions, but I want to start with – well, let's start with, with uh, what you do. Uh, what, what exactly uh, does an editor do? Because I think a lot of people think an editor uh, just edits books, and that's not true. Yes. Um, yes. There is a lot of misconception about uh, what I do. <laughs> uh, so just to um, back it up a little bit, I'm an editor uh, at HarperCollins and um, have been there for about eight years. And I work in um, the nonfiction world. So I get to just keep um, the fiction stories for fun. Uh, but my business is the, you know, telling um, the real stories of real people. Uh, so when I say that I'm an editor, um, yeah, typically people picture me, um, with big stacks of manuscripts and books, um, just like sitting in some like plush chair, like reading all day. And, uh, unfortunately that is not the case. <laughs> I do read a lot, but typically on the weekends because the rest of my job takes up, uh, a lot of uh, my bandwidth and my time, uh, which is just kind of the business of actually getting these books uh, from the idea stage, uh, the proposal, on through the manuscript, on through production, promoting them uh, and getting them on sale. And uh, it involves negotiation, it involves photo shoots, it involves a lot of things that um, people don't necessarily think of when they think of the romantic idea of book publishing. So I often say, you know, it's more like what a movie producer is doing for a film, uh, along with the actual editing, uh, which I love to do as well. I think that uh, the word editor is uh, it's total false advertising because your job is so much more than that. I mean, you basically champion books from the the, the conception to the execution, like till till it's in the uh, bookstores. Right, exactly. I I also another word I like to use a lot is that uh, I'm an advocate. So I advocate for the book uh, in house, to making sure that the rest of my colleagues get as excited about the book as I am. And then when I'm 
editing a manuscript, I advocate for the reader, making sure that uh, anybody who reads this is going to get what they want out of it and that the author is delivering on the promise that they made uh, to, to the reader. So let's, um, let's put a bookmark there. And I just realized how cheesy that was. But I, I, I <laughs> use the word bookmark with my clients. Uh, but in this case, I, I guess it's a little, a little on the nose. But It's very um, on the nose. <laughs> let's, let's put a bookmark there. And let's go back uh, further. And I want to know, did you always want to, did you want to um, be an editor when you, when you grew up as a kid? Or did it something you, you fell into? How does, you know, what's your journey in, what was your journey in, in um, ultimately what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I didn't necessarily grow up as a kid saying I was going to be an editor, but I think if you walked up to my 10-year-old self and told her that she was going to be a book editor, um, she would look up from the book she was reading uh, because I was always reading and, you know, say, obviously. Um, so I just, I've always been um, surrounded by books, had my nose in a book, uh, have been obsessed with reading and writing and stories uh, in that way. And I, unlike many other people, uh, I, it, it wasn't that I had a strong drive or necessarily a novel inside me. Uh, and so that was kind of interesting because I didn't have this strong urge to be a writer, but then when I discovered that there was this other thing that I could do, you know, writing and reading and editing, uh, but in service of like the business of how stories get told, uh, it just kind of clicked for me. So uh, I started, you know, seriously thinking about a career in publishing. Uh, when I was in college, I was lucky enough to go to a school. I went to Emerson College in Boston, which literally has a writing literature and publishing major. So instead of uh, an English major, which most people do if they want to get into this uh, industry, I was actually studying you know, desktop publishing, copy editing, magazine writing, the art of creative nonfiction, all of these really practical courses taught by people who were actually in that world and writing and active. Um, so it was a really, it, I loved it because it wasn't this like academia track. It was very much like get your hands dirty and get in there. And it was like job training. Uh, so I just, I, I really enjoyed that. I did magazine writing for a little while and I think it, you know, it's, it's similar to what I love about book publishing, which is just, it gives you this pass to talk to people that you wouldn't normally talk to, to find the stories that aren't being told and, uh, to get really nosy and personal, uh, with strangers and then help them tell, you know, what, what other people need to hear. So I, um, yeah, I, I, I worked in magazine publishing for a, a brief time. I was living in New York for a little while and then, um, came back to the Bay area in California and figured, you know, there's no way I'm going to be able to make a publishing career work out here because it's all New York. It's very New York centric. And so I did other things, bounced around a bit, uh, definitely had like a wayward journey. 
and uh, worked in nonprofits for a while. I think that was a great experience. I worked in marketing and publicity and then eventually found my way back to publishing because HarperCollins has an office out here in San Francisco. So uh, I never left. <laughs> I've been here for the last eight years because it's kind of the best of both worlds. I get to work on these big books and and have, you know, a presence uh, in the, you know, big five. So they call, uh, you know, these the, the bigger the bigger publishers. But um, I, I get to live out here and not necessarily be in the New York bubble of publishing. So it's it all just it, it worked out. So um, just just going back when you said you grew up with books around you, was that because of parents or was it your own gen general uh, interest in books as a kid? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a little bit of both. I think my parents were definitely very supportive of uh, my obsession, but the obsession was within me. And um, it wasn't necessarily, you know, my mom loves to read. My dad, I think, would freely admit that it is not his favorite uh, thing in the world. And um, they're both teachers, uh, but my dad has just always, um, you know, he he may have like a touch of dyslexia. Some was, you know, so reading isn't necessarily an enjoyable thing for him. Um, it depends on the subject, but. So when I was super, super young and uh, would go to the library, they would give me like a ridiculous uh, maximum amount of books uh, that I could check out. I mean, it was something like 30 books. Uh, and and uh, then would take those home. And when I was still learning to read, would require my parents to read me three books a night. Uh, very, um, very demanding. And, uh, you know, my dad would sometimes be like falling asleep and I would have to elbow him and wake him up uh, and keep him keep him focused. Um, so I would say it was pretty ingrained in just the core of who I was. I, 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 I mean, absolutely. And I'm listening to your story and I, I, I envy that. And I don't know if you know this um, about me. It's actually kind of embarrassing, but I mean, I've, I've, I'm not a reader at all. I've, I've read uh, about as many books as I have fingers and yep. <laughs> I've, I've never been a reader and um, I've always been a conceiver. I've always been an idea guy and I love uh, writing, but I, I just, I used to always think that if, since I'm not well read, I can't be a writer because if you're a true writer, you, you know, should be reading, you know, uh, three books a night or whatever, and you should have read everything. And at one point I just stopped fighting myself and accepted that that's, that's not me. Um, I'm also dyslexic. And, um, when audiobooks came out, it changed my life because now, yeah. um, I listen to audiobooks constantly. Yeah. Well, hey, I think that's why we make such a good team as writer and editor. Uh, we cover both bases, right? Uh, yeah, no, I, you did let that uh, slip at one point. And I remember uh, laughing and um, finding that very amusing. But I, I mean, same, I can say the same thing, you know, it's, it's, how do I have the right to edit all of these stories when uh, I'm not necessarily in the trenches and going through what a writer goes through day to day. You know what I mean? So what's the yeah, hardest part about your job? Would you say, so when you're going through these books and of course you also 
um, have now a personal investment in these books and right. you know you're championing them um, how do you uh, not like how do you encourage the writer's voice but at the same time um, you know hold on to your stance and all your you know your perspective as, a, as an editor and, and the way that you see the you know the, the book yeah it is an art, not a science. And it's so different with every single book. Uh, that's the thing is that it doesn't ever necessarily get easier. You've just done it a number of times where, uh, you, things aren't, you're not faced with a fresh conflict that you've never seen before. Uh, you kind of have a repertoire that you can like fall back on, but I, I would say I always have to keep in mind that this is this person's book, this is this person's story, and I'm there to make it better, but I'm not there to change it. And so that means that sometimes I have a lighter hand um, because it helps them tell their story in an authentic way, even if that means that it's not necessarily perfect or the way that I would ideally like to see it on the page. Um, and so, and I think we live in a different time nowadays, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm working on nonfiction. I'm not working on um, literary fiction. And so a lot of times, you know, I'm, it's, it's more important to get an authentic voice on the page than to have something that uh, a copy editor who is obsessed with like the rules uh, would would give an A plus, you know. I'm not I'm not really trying to please copy editors. I'm trying to please the author and the readers. Um, so, but it's it's tricky. For yeah, sure. and on top of that, you're also dealing with uh, such an array of personalities because every writer is <laughs> an individual, yep. right? And they come with their story. Um, so I can't imagine uh, managing that. Yeah, you know, not to like bring up uh, therapy terms, but one of the most difficult things that I have had to work on and uh, have it's been a challenge has been boundaries um, because a lot of the books I work on are very personal stories. And with any book, with any given book, I'm working on it for at least a year, usually a year and a half to two years. So in that time, you know, I've had authors that are publishing stories of their trauma, um, really, really hard stuff. And that means that I then am also living in that trauma and, and rehashing it and digging into it and living in that space myself for that long extended time. And it has taken quite a toll uh, on various projects. And so... I've had to learn the hard way of how to kind of protect myself and make sure that that also then doesn't yeah triggers and transference you know when you dive in um how do you well speaking of your life if you're doing business pretty much uh, five days a week and on the weekends you read how do you how does one carve out a life with with the the amount of work that you do yes Good question. Uh, should ask my husband, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I've gotten better. I would say the thing that helps is that it goes in ebbs and flows. 
So I just know that there are certain times of the year in which I have three manuscripts come in all at once, and I'm just going to need to spend every waking moment that I can editing those and working through those until they're off my desk. And then I'll have another three weeks where I don't have to edit on the weekends and I am able to go to the beach and hang out with my dog and see friends and be a normal person. Um, so it is, you know, I'm sure there's other industries that kind of uh, operate similarly. You know, I, I think actors, they, they go on set for a long time uh, and they kind of, they're 24 seven in that space, but then they get off for a little while. Um, and not to say I get to just completely be off. Um, then I just go back to the normal nine to five. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just kind of a, um, throughout the year, I, I'd say I have seasons which are busier than others. And you just have to take advantage of, if you don't have anything you have to do, then you have to carve out that time for yourself. What's the most rewarding uh, part of your, I'm going to change your title, producing books. Yeah. <laughs> the most rewarding part is definitely uh, when you, when all of that work comes into fruition. Uh, there's a few moments that are my favorite. Uh, the first time an author gets their books, their physical books, and gets to hold them and gets to open up that package. Uh, I, I'm i not even there most of the time. I've, I've seen it a few times, uh, and it's awesome. Uh, and, the, you know, like I said, it's, it's typically two years of intense work. So to see it you know, come to life and, and just to see them be able to flip through the pages and know that they touched every single part of that. And, and they touched every word, but I touched even the decision of, oh, this is the color that the binding of the book is going to be. Um, so I can get real deep uh, into, into that. But I, I'd say that. And then I'd say, you know, when you um, see the book out in the world, uh, whether that is literally you see it like in bookstores or in your case, uh, in the airport everywhere, um, or when you see people interacting with it, when you see someone post something on Instagram about how the book affected them, when you see someone reading your book on the train, which is so fun and such a weird experience. And I try not to be a creep because they don't know that I edited that book. Um, but it's, it's just one of the best uh, experiences to know that something that you did and something that you worked on is having this kind of ripple effect. It makes the uh, grind uh, and, and all the kind of stress and, uh, in, the, in the rest of the process totally worth it. Does the uh, success or, um, I don't want to say failure, because I don't, I don't really believe in, in, in that any books really fail, but um, does the success of a book or, or your, uh, if it doesn't meet your expectations, does that affect you in some way? Is that hard? I would assume it's kind of like a movie where, you know, there's a there's a, a team involved in a movie from the, the, the writer, director, producers. And then if the movie does well, everyone kind of um, celebrates that win. And if the movie doesn't do well, it's, it's probably hard for uh, everyone involved in their own way, you know. Yeah, I'd say it, that has changed for me based on just having more experience. I think as a young editor, the quote unquote success of your book means 
a lot more, well, not necessarily that it means less as you get older, but you're living and dying by building this list. And uh, it, it, there's a lot more at stake for each individual book as, a, as opposed to now, I look at my entire list and I see it more holistically. And it's, it's far more important for me to be proud of the books that I have put out in the world than for them to sell X amount of copies. Because also a lot of the books that we put out at Harper One specifically, we are hoping that they have this like long, long tail effect. So a lot of times a book might not sell like crazy right out the gate, but five, yeah, five years from now, it's still selling a couple hundred copies every single week. And that's kind of the best you can, you can ask for. So it helps that there's no one barometer for success. Although you could argue that a New York times bestseller is that, um, and that is kind of the gold standard that a lot of authors and agents and people in publishing are shooting for, but that's also a super fickle goal that does not have, you know, it's not like you sell X amount of copies you get on the list. So I, as I have, um, you know, published more and just had more of the successes. And I, I don't think of any of my books as failures, to be honest. Um, I really don't. But uh, as I've just published more, I've been able to have a completely different perspective on that. Yeah, I think that if a book is published, you've already succeeded because, you you know, you could actually touch uh, the pages and it's it came from um, your heart, your, your brain, your soul to now you could touch it. And I think that journey itself is a huge accomplishment. Yeah, and it'll always be around. That's the great thing about books is that in all of these very temporary, you know, media formats, like an Instagram story is gone in 24 hours, but a book is in, you know, Library of Congress for the rest of time. So, well, speaking of um, books and, and, the, and the evolution of books, what do you think about um, where it's headed today and, and the whole digital? Um, do you think? that uh, because of the internet, um, the whole book business, the whole, is, is that uh, less attractive to you or are you accepting of, of technology and digital and audio and are you uh, excited about uh, the evolution? I, I'm excited. I think you have to be excited and open. I think uh, people have always been looking for the thing that is going to kill book publishing, um, but it never happens. Books are always around. And in fact, these things that are seen as threats, you know, ebooks uh, back in the day or now audiobooks, they just get people reading more. And that's amazing. So people are reading more than ever, and publishing is as strong as it's ever been. Uh, and so I think it's I think it's great. I think to your point about audiobooks and that being you know, an outlet for you to, to read more. I, I think that's amazing. And, um, I don't necessarily, I, you know, I still prefer the, the physical book as over a, an ebook or audiobook. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I, I, I feel like podcasts are definitely a problem for me. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, yes. Um, and they and I and I try to rationalize them because I say that I'm kind of listening for work and uh, because anytime I'm consuming any type of like media or hearing from you know hearing an interview with an interesting person, it, it, I could file it under like this is this is for work. Is it, is there a book here? Uh, so I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, not as many audiobooks, but I just love people reading and interacting with stories, no matter how it happens. And I'd be excited to see what is, what is next. Uh, I don't think we're done here. So it's really just, um, it's, it's, I am not worried about book publishing. I'm worried about probably almost every other form of media, but book publishing for better or worse will never die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think books will ever uh, be extinguished. Um, I think there's going to be an evolution, but um, books itself, I mean, the, the kind that you hold in your hand, I don't think that will ever go away. Right. Exactly. They do something for people and it, there, there's just nothing else quite like it. And they're the things that we move from, place to place when, you know, you are younger and every year you're in a different apartment, those books follow you. And I think there's something to be said for that. What do you think about self-help and the explosion of self-help in like the last, I would say, seven, eight years, maybe 10? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, I think it's good because self-help, especially as someone who gets proposals uh, every day from agents, from authors, it can feel like there is nothing new under the sun, especially when it comes to self-help. Um, I mean, it's really hard to find something that feels fresh. Uh, and that's not just, oh, this is, you know, you are a badass, but for X, Y, Z, um, you get that a lot. Uh, or in, in the memoir world, like this is like wild, um, and uh, or eat, pray, love, or 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 in the you know social sciences. This is like Malcolm Gladwell, but is that is that kind of like it's the, the, those pitches kind of make it high concept, right? Because I, I know in the movie business, it's like oh, it's like ET meets this, mm -hmm. and I'm assuming in the book world, that's kind of the language as well. Yeah, it's always helpful to have like a reference. I, we we call them comps, um, comparative titles. And you got to have them, but it's also ex exactly, exactly. So I would say self-help specifically has been interesting to watch because it's gone from a very credential driven genre. So you, you need to be a doctor, um, or you need to be a, you know, just a, a clear professional to a yeah to much more people just want authenticity and if you've lived an experience and you have wisdom they're they're there for it and they'll listen so it is it's kind of turned the the category on its head a bit um these books that have just come in and been bold and brash i mean obviously you are in good company with uh, a, a title that has a curse word and is just really kind of personality driven. And it's not, this is the end all be all guide to whatever, whatever. But uh, by the way, let me insert something real quick. Um, Hillary is the one that came up with my title, uh, <laughs> which, which I'm so grateful for. And I did have resistance in the beginning. 
Um, but yeah, it was you that said, hey, what about this? And the other thing I remember is when you said, uh, imagine like if Johnny Cash wrote a, a self-help book for men. And that was, that was so helpful for me. And I remember I was walking the streets of San Francisco after that meeting, listening to Johnny Cash. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, hey, I'm glad it worked. <laughs> well, it's, it's another example of how an editor um, and, and the effects of an editor isn't just the, the written words on the page, but everything from the title to, like you said, colors, the cover, like the whole thing. Yeah, cover is, is a cool one, too. Um, I, for every cover, you know, we kind of go, we start from these these kind of mood boards, and that's it's just a really fun exercise for me. Um, I'm a very visual person, too, so it helps me uh, just kind of get that creative side fulfilled. Um, but, yeah, it, it's... it's um, it's the whole thing. That's like what we were saying before, like editing and book publishing, it is so much more than putting, you know, your pen to the page or your fingers to the keyboard. There's, there's like just so much that goes into it. I think um, going back to the, the self evolution of self-help, I think, you know, in the eighties and maybe mid nineties, uh, um, self-help books were very at you. You know, yeah. this is what you need to do. I'm the expert. Um, I'm behind the podium. And now the big thing is uh, self-help books coming with you. So this idea of the author uh, being transparent, humanizing herself, uh, and also um, being vulnerable and sharing uh, her story, that seems to be very powerful now. Absolutely. I mean, you're a perfect example of this. I can't think of a better example than you and what people want these days, which is somebody who leads with Hey, I've been through it. Hey, I messed up, and this is this is what I did. And then you're also fulfilling um, another thing that people are very interested in right now, which is like voyeurism into therapy and that whole world. Uh, that that we're seeing a lot of, and seeing that people really want to kind of uh, peek behind the curtain uh, for for more insight into like for what happens. Yeah. yeah, what happens? Behind the scenes. Um, yeah, and I feel like I got lucky because I caught the swell because um, I, I never planned any, any uh, uh, of this. I, I just created a little blog on Tumblr, but it was just uh, me deciding to pull the per curtain back and not knowing anyone would read me. And, uh, and then, of course, that turning into um, eventually working with you and, and, and publishing books. So it's, I, I mean, I feel super – because a lot of it's timing, right? And I'm not going to take – take credit for the, the timing of all this. Yeah. You don't have any control. It, it, it's crazy. Some, I, I'd love to say that we evaluate each project uh, consistently and all the same, but to be honest, sometimes books are acquired because it's been a slow month <laughs> or, or books aren't acquired because there's a lot going on that week or that editor is out of the office or their boss is out of the office and on vacation and it slips through the cracks. It's crazy. It's, it's maddening and it's probably not the best thing for uh, an aspiring author to hear, but it's the truth. So when things line up, like your book coming in to me, um, that, it, you know, your agent, Laura, deciding to send it of all the editors to me and me, 
getting it at that day and at that time and everything lining up, I mean, it's it's a needle in a haystack. And and by the way, you were uh, my only meeting that was a Skype call. Like I was in New York um, going into these very intimidating boardrooms and mm-hmm. lots of water. And uh, it, rem- <laughs> it reminds me of that scene in, in, ta- uh, in a flash dance where there's that board and uh, she's dancing in front of this. Uh, <laughs> So instead of dancing, I was, I was pitching, of course. But um, you were a Skype call, and I didn't think you were interested. I thought, uh, I thought you were super nice and friendly and kind, and I think we chatted for about, I don't know, 10, 10 15 minutes. It wasn't a long call. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that ended up being the one. So Yeah, yeah. That's the hard thing, too, being out here. That's a, a lot of my meetings are, are Skype, uh, although – you know, you obviously make make it work, um, but it can be hard feeling like, okay, I'm competing with these people who are having meetings in person, and here I am on a screen or just over a phone line, and I have to somehow be warm and engaging and essentially try and make you like me and like our our publishing program. Uh, and it's, it's, it's hard, but because I only really go after books that I feel really strongly about, I think I can make up for it. Uh, what I, what I might not have in terms of face to face. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I felt your enthusiasm and even via Skype or zoom or whatever, um, FaceTime, you can feel someone's energy, right. And passion mm-hmm. and all of that. And that was there. Um, where do you, well, well I was also going to ask you, so also you, you can never tell, um, if a book's going to be successful, right? I mean, I'm assuming we can predict, um, but I'm sure you've had many surprises. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, both going both ways, you know, books that you have high expectations for that, uh, don't meet them anywhere near what you were expecting. Uh, and then books that are kind of these tiny little, uh, we call them acorns, you know, you, they, they're planted and you don't think much of them. And then they just, explode and have a way bigger impact than than you were expecting um yeah i mean you you see it all and there's no rhyme i mean like you said there's certain things that are definitely predictors um but there's no science to it yeah yeah i mean it's just like it's just like movies you know some sometimes uh, little movies hit they become huge and big movies uh that are predicted to do very well don't do well so what do you look for when it comes to a writer? I read so much that I don't know if I have a specific qualification that I'm looking for. It's more of a feeling that I get. And it's almost like, imagine getting 20 proposals a day and being... And each proposal you know, being, uh, let you know, 30 pages. Guys, right. a, a proposal is not an email. It's not a, a paragraph, right? No, it's a whole package. I mean, if it is, it ain't going anywhere. Right, right. exactly. So you're um, you're plowing through a thirty-page proposals. Yeah. So eventually, I mean, if you're reading that much, you just have to look for the one that makes you stop what you're doing and continue reading, as opposed to just reading to get through it to make sure. Okay, I I, I got through that submission. I'm gonna do X Y Z. I'm gonna follow up with the agent. There's the ones I look for are the ones that I would read regardless of what was going on and what's on my plate professionally. The ones that I just stop and read as a person. 
So you have to probably uh, trust your intuition. I'll bet you that's a big factor in this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, my, my boss, I remember when I was just starting out acquiring, um, he always said, you know, there's so much work that goes into a book that when you're looking at a proposal, you really should try and see all the, the problems in it, but then know that the ones that you want to go for, um, you have to ask yourself, do I want to fight for this one? Not just do I, not just like, do I see merit in it or do I think there's an audience, but would I fight for this one? And that's really helped me, um, see the difference between books that I could, sure, I, you know, we could publish this, so I'd probably do okay. And then books that I actually will spend the next two years of my life devoted to. What makes you want to fight for a book and what makes you, um, just feel like, oh, this is, it's okay. And it's, you know, it makes sense. Or this is something I'm going to fight for. Is it a gut feeling? Is it like, what, what, what makes you want to fight? The tough question. I, I would say definitely if it is, if it feels new, you know, if it isn't that feeling of, gosh, there's nothing new under the sun anymore, or if it's a person or even um, somebody who represents a group of people who have not uh, been heard, you know, there's a book I have coming out um, this summer from a writer who has been um, paralyzed in a wheelchair for um, the bulk of her life since she was three years old. And her writing was so powerful and real and funny and welcoming. And um, it, it really stopped me in my tracks. And then the thing that made me want to fight for it was just realizing, look, you know, disabled people represent one out of every five people on the planet, and yet we don't hear from them at all. So something like that takes it from a, sure, this this is good writing, or this seems like a sensible business um, opportunity to, oh, no, 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 I'm going to lay down on the railroad tracks for this one. <laughs> so it's not just about the book having legs, but it becomes bigger than itself. Yeah, what it represents, you know, I, like it needs to have a wider purpose in the world. I, I, sure, I could say, oh my gosh, I got a book in from uh, Brad Pitt. I don't know why he's the first person who came to mind, but, um, and, but, yeah, um, and I, I could say, sure, this is going to be huge, um, but it has to be be doing something in the world it has to have a larger purpose it can't just be for you know the commercial success for me personally but yeah i mean that makes complete sense because it turns it into almost a movement you know it's then uh exactly. then, you're, then you're championing a flag not just um a book not just exactly. words so um going back i'm drilling you on this because uh so many i got, I got a lot of people who want uh, uh an answer to this uh so what what do you um because a lot of people reading art bloggers, art up and coming writers, um, are pursuing right. the craft. Uh, so, what do you look for in a writer? Or if a book proposal falls on your desk, what what is it um, that you look for? Or maybe it's 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 uh, just you know two or three things. Yeah, I would say first and foremost, you're saying something new. Um, and number two, you have actually done your homework of what else is in the market. 
and and how your book is filling a gap in that market. Uh, I would also say you've done your research in figuring out who you're pitching. It's much more effective to pitch three people that you know are interested uh, than to pitch 30 editors blindly. And um, if you can point to some of the books that they've worked on, if you can show that you have actually like thought about what their list is and how you would fit on it, uh, that's going to get you 10 steps ahead of the game. And I would say, you know, that, that you're engaged in the world. Uh, it, it, at least if you're trying to get published by a bigger publisher um, like HarperCollins, we're going to want to see that you know, you don't just stay in a cave, that you are having conversations in the world, that you have a presence, that you are, you know, engaged and um, somebody who is not just going to, you know, deliver 65,000 words, but somebody who's going to then go out and, you know, make the book an interactive experience. Exactly. Yep. Uh, do you think writers are born, or can you learn to be a really good writer? Well, is it a talent that you just have or don't have? I mean, any, anyone can get better at any craft, but mm-hmm. it's funny because I think that would depend on kind of what you're writing. I work with a lot of authors who aren't writers. Um, who actually have no experience, but they may be um, somebody who's on TV or they oh, may be, celebrity or famous or yeah, maybe they're an activist. Right. Um, maybe English is not their first language. Uh, you know, I, I work with a lot of people who aren't necessarily like traditional writers. So I think I have a different perspective on this, which is just that, you know, you don't you don't have to be born a writer to be a great author. Uh, you you just well, that's where I can really help. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 really it's really interesting, at least for me, um, working with people who are household names in some cases, but have never written a book before, and they're totally out of their element. They have no how how these things happen and so I need to work you know help them walk their way through that so I'm of the opinion that yeah I I mean these things are are work and you can you can learn and you don't have to be you know a child prodigy necessarily um yeah I think everyone wants to write a book um I don't think most people have what it takes to actually finish a book. So forget if it's even good or bad, but just the uh, the amount of um, staring at a white screen, the amount of self doubt, you know, uh, the the wanting to put needles in your eyes, and, mm-hmm. and you know, you just said sixty five thousand words. That's a, that's a long tr- tunnel. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and it I, starts with one. <laughs> it's right. So and, daunting. and you know, many can also write a, a thirty page book proposal, but the execution of an entire book is a, a long journey. And I'm sure when you're considering proposals, you're also thinking, okay, if I pick this and I, and I, and I, and I fight for this, I'm also going to be uh, working with this person for the right. next year. You know? 
Exactly. Yeah. I, 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 in the last year or so, uh, I think have jokingly said, um, that my personal brand now is just working with nice authors, uh, who are humble and appreciative. Um, it makes my life a lot better, (laughs) but you know, of course there's, you get all kinds. Um, but I would definitely say that work ethic is going to be the thing that, yeah, work ethic trumps uh, talent, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I, t- I totally see that. I mean, because at the end of the day, you're, um, you have to turn in pages, mm-hmm. you know. Um, can you share one, what's one of your favorite stories since you've been at Harper? Uh, and, and, you know, you don't have to mention names or whatever, but uh, the process of uh, discovering a book, um, you know, producing it, uh, editing it, uh, running with it, and suddenly it, it, you know, hits bookstores. What's one of your favorite stories? Oh, man, that is a tough one. Or maybe it's one of your favorite stories because it didn't work out. You know, maybe um, the kite didn't fly and there was a lot, a lot of lessons involved. Right, right. Um, let's see here. It's hard, you know, they all, I've, I've worked on now something like 40, I'd say 40 something books I've edited. Wow. Um, in, 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 in how long? In, let's see, five years. Wow. So, so in five so years, you've produced that, 40 books? I, I work on about 10 books uh, a year. So if, if that is the case, then yeah, I'm, 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 I'm at about 50 books at this point. So I'm trying to like conjure them all up in my head right now and pick one. And my brain is just like melting, uh, essentially. <laughs> do you, well, let, let me buy some time and also you don't have to um, answer that, but, uh, do, do you think about when you, you said you've been a part of 50 books, um, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, those 50 books now being read by, you know, thousands and possibly millions of people and you um, being, a, you know, being a contributor to that, does that, is that baffling to you? Do you think about that in the, in the last um, five years, 50 books and the ripple of those books? I'm thinking about it now and it is kind of a trip. Uh, you know, you get bogged down in just the day-to-day busyness. So it's hard to step back and think about that. But, uh, so, you I mean, know, actually... You've affected, I mean, you know, whether it's your taste or your perspective or, you know, your um, corrections or whatever, I mean, you've affected millions of people. Yeah, it's, that's weird. That is weird. Um, I did have one of those moments. My, uh, my sister, I was getting, I was getting married a couple of years ago and she reached out to, uh, uh, several of my authors, um, as this fun thing she was doing and, and got them to just write in certain things uh, about me. And she then like read them to me and made me guess which author had said what. And it was a very weird experience. It kind of felt like I had died and was, you know, attending my own funeral or something. Um, but to your point, it also, it made me see that ripple effect of, of all of these relationships that I've had with these people and helping them do what is probably one of the hardest things they'll ever do. Uh, it's, it's crazy. I it's think, crazy. I think it's amazing. I think it's noble. 
Um, and, and I also just bought you about four minutes. I don't yes, know you did. You... <laughs> and I thought of, yeah. <laughs> and you thought of one? Because this is how I want to, yes. I want to end with, um, I want to end, end with a story, a real life story from you. Um, sure. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll, knowing that you're, audience is, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of bloggers. There's a lot of people who are interested in this, but aren't necessarily celebs, um, or coming with, you know, name recognition right out the gate. Um, I'll tell you a story of, uh, something that doesn't happen, happen often, but this has been a success. Uh, some, some crazy Korean guy you met on Skype. This crazy Korean guy came out of nowhere. Um, Yeah, no, I love your story and and will always. um, And now that we're doing book two and hopefully book three and four and everything down the line, I mean, your story is definitely one of my biggest um, like success stories, but also just uh, like, I don't know, it warms my heart because we're, we're friends now. You know, I went down to LA and we had, we had Korean barbecue together. We did. Like, and, that was uh, amazing. It, it was, it was very seamless, which I love. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I love your story, but I'll also tell one more story of a book that I can't speak to as success because it actually goes on sale in May. So um, we're not there yet, but, there uh, is a young woman named Mia Mercado. She's a humor writer, and um, she's written for, you know, The New Yorker and McSweeney's and all these different outlets. Um, and she got a great agent who represents a lot of women of color and really cool projects. And the agent, you know, again, just decided to send to me she, in, in her long list of, of various editors. And this proposal was a book of essays, essentially, that were just funny. And even though that seems like, sure, who wouldn't want that? That can be a very hard thing for me to sell. Uh, It's much easier for me to say, this is a book that is going to um, teach women how to have orgasms. Uh, you know, or or just this like very clear, clean cell. Um, and a lot of people are trying to do these kind of witty essay collections. But this one I read and it made me laugh more than I had laughed <laughs> <laughs> in a very long time. And it reminded me of this book um, that I love that I always like to recommend from Samantha Irby. It's called We Are Never Meeting in Real Life. It mm. is in my opinion, the funniest essay collection I gotta ever. Do okay. She's amazing. There's probably an audiobook version that would be hilarious. So I read it and I said, you know, I know everybody wants to be this Samantha Irby in this in this category. This is the first proposal I think that actually gets there. And so I got really excited about it. And even though this woman, Mia, did not have a huge quote unquote platform. Um, we, we bought her book and, uh, we started working on it and I, you know, encouraged her and said, you have every right in the world to, to write this book. We chose you for a reason, just do it. And she has delivered the funniest, I mean, just brilliant, 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 um, and relatable. I mean, she talks about everything from, uh, being a half Asian person living in the Midwest, um, to 
her dog and there's an essay written completely from the perspective of her dog. I mean, it's just great. So what I have loved to see, and especially as, you know, I refer to myself as an advocate is that as the material came together and it was able to be shared with other people in the Harper Collins office, people started reading it on their own. Um, and this doesn't always happen. Sometimes, you know, I hate to break it to you, but it can be a struggle to get people to actually read the material because there's just so much work to be done. But everyone who read it uh, got obsessed with it. And so I, I then have the audio team coming to me and saying, we want to do this for the audio book. We think it's going to be great. And then I have the people who work with all the independent booksellers coming to me and saying, oh my God, we are going to get an early copy of this to 500 different top independent bookstores. And we're going to write a letter about why we are obsessed with this book. And I have assistants, editorial assistants who don't even work in my department who have somehow gotten this book and are writing me and saying, I want to be friends with her. And so that has been so validating for me because again, when you say I have to just trust my intuition, I trusted my intuition. I bought a book just because I liked it. And I thought that my boss was kind of just throwing me a bone saying, all right, let's, let's let Hillary acquire this one. Um, but then here we are. And the book has gone from, um, a certain amount of expectations to easily five times that. And I just can't wait for it to go on sale. So I love that. What an amazing <laughs> story. I love that story because it's, it, like what I see is you turning over rocks and finding a diamond. Yeah. You know, and then showing people and they're like, wow, uh, you have a gift for this. This is amazing. Um, that validation. Yeah, absolutely. But also, I love that it's unconventional. I love that you mm -hmm. found something that isn't supposed to be or, you know, um, that 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 it, it, it basically makes it the underdog. Yeah. Oh, and cherry on top. Samantha Irby, the author of that book that is kind of like, she's the queen of this whole category. We got an early copy to her, the, the author did. Um, and Samantha Irby provided a brilliant quote, a blurb for the jacket, which does not ever happen unless you have some like huge connection. So it just, it furthers, this is the book that like keeps on giving. It's awesome. I'll bet you it's going to be uh, wildly successful. You could already kind of feel the energy of it. And especially if people are, um, are championing it, it means something, you know, when they don't yeah. have to. There's definitely a special, uh, special energy there. Guys, if you're listening to this, um, hopefully that story was inspiring. And, you know, if anything, it injects hope and in that anything is possible. So um, keep writing and keep finding your voice. Um, do not bombard Hillary at uh, HarperCollins because <laughs> she's really busy. Um, I want to end with this. So in the movie business, um, they say that uh, when you're directing a movie, uh, the, uh, the DP, uh, the cinematographer, is, is one of the, the, the most important factors. And I think when a director finds a really good DP that, uh, that uh, she connects with, you know, that synergy, that partnership is um, it, it's very, you know, it's consistent. It's throughout, like every big director has their own, um, DP they work with and they're very picky. And I want to say that with, with my journey, um, you've become that person for me. You know, I'm new to the game. Um, uh, miserable fuck is only the second book. Uh, and, and it's only the, the, 
the first when it comes to like like a like a big book and um man our our uh energy and the way that we work at the speed that we work um mm-hmm. and i mean i just i have nothing to compare it to but from what i hear from my agent and other people um they're like it's you it's just lightning so i just yeah. i want i'm really grateful for meeting you and um, all your hard work and the way that you uh, championed you've championed my uh, my books um and I just uh, I applaud everything that you're doing, and uh, you, yeah, and thank you for being on my podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'll do ten more books with you, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, um, you heard that right? She she said yeah, ten more books. <laughs> right. Okay, Hillary, have an awesome day, and um, you too, John. Have a good day.